Welcome back to the Sunday Show. I'm Rod Cyrus. I hope you guys are all well and thanks for listening and joining me. Definitely, I can say this, winter is definitely coming. Right, as I speak to you, I can hear birds singing in the background and a young girl bouncing a basketball. You can't hear them, but they're there, they're outside. And in the background, they are busy. Busy in my background, which is probably what happens all over the world. And it reminds me so much of life in general and the scenarios which are played out all over the country, as I've said, the world. In the background of the news, or maybe not necessarily the background of the news, but for some, on Monday there was a conversation around the Black Lives Matter campaign. Two teams had decided not to take the knee before their game. The teams in question were Queen's Park Rangers and Coventry. They decided not to take the knee. And the resulting conversation uh, within certain parts of the mainstream media was confusing. Why did they not take the knee? What does this mean for the Black Lives Matter cause? And who are QPR to take this stand? All kind of very valid questions, you would think. I could go on, but Queen's Park Rangers are, to my knowledge, a team who has always had diversity and quality of opportunity at their core. They have had a black manager in Chris Ramsey. Not many teams in top flight football can make that claim, or maybe in any other level can make that claim. Maybe a few, but not many. They have Les Ferdinand, known to the general public as Sir Les Ferdinand. He is the director of football, and he has been involved with the club for many, many years, since he retired from playing football. And I know firsthand how instrumental he has been in offering opportunities and mentoring to individuals around the club, uh, to someone uh, I would call a fantastic individual herself in Manisha. Hi Manisha, shout out to you. Um, the club, they are in QPR, their values and approach to taking the knee was questioned, uh, but the issue in from my point of view and for others generally is not about taking the knee or not. Um, it seems lost and it is lost on many who fail to understand the systematic injustice based on race. Taking the knee is a symbol. Uh, taking the knee isn't the fight against injustice. It is just a symbol. To simplify it, it's about what you believe in in your core regarding social injustice. Social injustice and racism, that is what it is. So let's be clear, taking the knee isn't fighting racism, it isn't fighting social injustice, it isn't fighting it, it is a symbol of what you stand for and who you stand with. Now imagine if we were to complain about footballers or sportsmen and women who, let's say for example, crossed their hearts before or whilst they entered the field of play or the pitch. How dare they bring religion into sport? Who do they think they are? Could you imagine that kind of conversation? No. We wouldn't do it, right? No, we wouldn't. A person's faith is about what they believe. If someone of faith doesn't make a cross before they enter the field of play, does that mean they're a bad person? Do we question them that because they don't do that, that they're a bad person, that they don't have something at their core which they say they have? Or if they refuse to say a silent prayer, do we say that they're not really, you know, a true believer at their core because they don't? Well, that's their simple choice to make. So if someone wants to take the knee, 
if teams want to take the knee, if teams decide not to take the knee, but they still actually want to fight for um, um, against social injustice or racism or anything else, they can do that. But taking the knee is simply a symbol. Symbol. And when you look at it, you know, the, there was such a strong reaction to, to both of these teams. Primarily, it would seem Queen's Park Rangers. Maybe because they had Celeste Ferdinand uh, at, at the helm and failing to take the knee. I mean, Queen's Park Rangers felt that they needed to react and they did so. And they issued a statement. A statement which would explain the decision, which was taken in itself. The decision was taken between both teams and the match official. So everyone would understand their position. Now, let's be clear that the decision was taken in conversation with the other team and the match official. Uh, Queen's Park Rangers wanted to make change. They wanted change, not just sound bites. They want action and programs, not just sound bites and symbols. They want action and programs, not media moments frozen in time. They want action. Injustice, inequality, racism, hate. They don't get challenged enough. They don't. They simply receive, you know, plenty of support and airtime from some established journalists and newspapers, but it's not enough of a challenge. So to put their side of the story across, the statement was necessary and very good. And it was to the point. You know, here is a summary of the statement put out by Les Ferdinand and a section of what it said. Taking the knee was very powerful, but we feel that the impact has now been diluted, right? In the same way that clap for carers was very emotional for us all. I didn't like that. It got to a stage where it had run its natural course and the decision was rightly made to stop it. Does that mean we as a nation don't care or appreciate about our NHS workers? Of course it doesn't. So that's part of the statement. And this is from Les Ferdinand. And he makes absolute sense. I mean, in, with regards to the clap for carers, I thought it was just a propaganda myself, because generally what we see from politicians, they don't really care about those who care for our health. And as we move through 2020, that's become much more clear. And if you're not sure, please go and well, try and visit someone in the hospital, then you'll understand. But with regards to the statement from Queen's Park Rangers, Les Ferdinand goes on to say this, taking the knee, or the taking of the knee, should I say, has reached a point of good PR, but a little more than that. The message has been lost. It is now not dissimilar to a fancy hashtag or a nice pin badge that says care. I'm saying a bit about care or NHS. I'm saying a bit about NHS but you get what I'm saying. He goes on and says this, what are our plans with this? Will people be happy for players to take the knee for the next 10 years, but see no actual progress? Taking the knee will not bring about change in the game. Action will. Don't judge us, he goes on to say. Simple research and evidence will show you we are doing more than most. And this is talking, talking about QPR. If you want change, judge yourselves. Very true. What you'll find is that players in the States, that's the United States, on the same team, choose to express themselves differently. And in the United States, it is a statement of protest, not just a symbolic gesture. And there's more from the statement. 
And now that is how it should be. Each individual needs to be free to make their own decision on how to express intolerance for social injustice without fear of being negatively judged. The EFL guidance states that it is for the players and the teams to make their own decision on this, but as a matter of courtesy, should let their opposition and the match referee know. More of the statement from Les Ferdinand. I was going to call him Les there. Sir Les, should I say. As a club, we fully support our players, whether they choose to take the knee or not. We judge our players by their actions, and every one of them has been extremely supportive of our values and goals and they are the values and goals of the most diverse club in the country. I have seen no media organisations who come close to matching what we do to further the causes of social injustice and inclusion, no BAME representation at senior levels. This is despite them having considerably more resources than we do. Right? He goes on to say this, to be blunt, anyone who thinks our players condone racism because they didn't take a knee really doesn't get it. Anyone who responds to Black Lives Matter by saying all lives matter really doesn't get it. Anyone who thinks just taking a knee is sufficient in fighting social injustice really doesn't get it. Actions speak louder than words. People need to do something more than simple gestures. Our support is in our actions and that from in terms of me delivering to you is the end of the statement summary. So taking the knee in a sporting world when people talk about uh, politics should not be in sport is a symbol, pretty much like uh, the government minister wearing a badge that says care or the NHS. It is a symbol of what you believe in and who you stand for or what you fight for. It's very, very simple. I have chosen <clears throat> to, ch to share a large section of the statement put out by Queen's Park Rangers because it resonated with me. It resonated with me. You know, of all of the things that happened in the week, that was the one thing that stood out. And it was pretty much right at the beginning, but it was key in terms of how I see things going and the way the world needs to change. And what needs to happen isn't just about symbols or badges. It's about action. It's not just about uh, symbols, symbols and slogans. It's about actions. Uh, I, for one, do not judge QPR. And I wholeheartedly, even though I'm a Manchester United fan, I wholeheartedly stand by Queen's Park Rangers. I stand by Les Ferdinand. I don't even support the football club. But if I did support Queen's Park Rangers, I would do so with an immense level of pride. And more importantly, a sense of belonging. That's what I would do. And I say so to you as a black man, because I see and hear what they are doing about the problem of social injustice. And it isn't just a symbol for them. They want to see action. Les Ferdinand wants to see action. And sometimes you just get to get to the point to say, hey, you know, tell it as it is. Some people are talking a whole lot of BS and people are being upset about things that they just don't want to see. And it's change. Anyway, let's turn the page away from that day onto Tuesday. The coronavirus came calling again. I did say winter was coming. The night king of illness. Regional lockdowns were commonplace in the last few weeks and more and more caution 
was a recurring call from officials in the government. This particular person called Prime Minister, I believe he said something. In football, the common call was for the return of fans to football. And that has been the call for some time, ever since the lockdown began. There has been this call, this conversation about when fans will be able to return to the game. Some sports had been able to permit a fraction of their overall fan base to watch competitive sport as trial events or as actual events. In the early part of the week, everything changed for sports fans. More, more cases, more coronavirus cases were announced. The R rate had increased and repeated calls for everyone to be sensible fell on deaf ears. Sporting arenas, football stadiums would no longer be able to allow fans in on the proposed 1st of October date. And everyone has been talking about this date for quite some time. This, I believe, was the planned, was, it was planned generally for an increase in the numbers and grounds because I've said there have been some clubs who have been able to trial fans in the ground, trial their COVID operations and how they would do their general match day operations with regards to people being in the stadium. This was not going to happen now. So news of everything um, falling by the wayside uh, was out there for everyone. News in itself, uh, I gleaned from the BBC website, provided the unwanted message to football supporters and clubs who need to generate revenue because it's going to be about money. Uh, plans, as it would say, to um, allow fans to return were squashed by um, Michael Gove, not necessarily by him, but the statements, the comments from him with regards to uh, the plans of fans returning on that day. Uh, officials from the Department of Culture, Media and Sports, or the DCMS, I've always wondered why sport and culture are together. Hmm. It's a bit of a mash-up department, really. Anyway, uh, the, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport told a meeting which was attended um, by a number, well, say by a number, a number of other special individuals that the ban on fans will be kept under review. Now, um, just to step away from football, it's not just football, obviously there's rugby, there's tennis, there's, you, you name it, there's there's six aside, seven, you name it, there's going to be someone, six aside, yeah, definitely six aside, who's not going to be happy. So with regards to this news, um, another sporting kind of arena, you would say, is the world of rugby. The, the Premier Rugby Chief Exec, Darren Childs, had his uh, two pence worth and he said that the announcement um, of support that supporters would not be allowed into stadiums for possibly up to six months cuts off crucial revenue for clubs who have already suffered significant losses. Now this news was difficult for supporters to absorb. It was difficult for me to absorb because you know I support one of the clubs in the top tier but I have an affinity with so many other clubs and because I like to go and watch sport. But the reality, but this was always going to come. This was always going to happen. Back in April, they had, you know, I was privy to conversations where they said a second wave was due to happen at the end of September, October, especially with school returning. So this was always going to happen. If there was anything we could do to predict that a virus um, would resurface, especially in the UK, you know, at the tail end of winter, it's come, you know, it's not say common sense, but is this a theme? 
it, it generally it was bound to return. It's the cold and flu season, children coming back, families mixing again in schools, offices returning, people being on holiday, all of these things which we frequently take for granted, we're going to mix into one. So you have the cold and flu season alongside this coronavirus. There's always going to be caution, symptoms merging between one another. <clears throat> In regards to the sport itself, how will clubs survive? How will clubs at a lower level survive without fans in their stadium? Um, it is a serious question to ponder. It could cause it could cause some clubs to um, fold in the future if fans don't return or other financial means are sought. Um, and what it would also do, especially at the top end, because it's now still within the transfer window, it could cause some clubs to pause on potential purchases. Deals that they probably thought they could get through and now they're going to have to think again because the revenue that they're probably pin their hopes on with this you know, proposed 1st of October day, they're now not able to because you now have another six months of fans not being in the stadium or not being able to get access to the product in which they love or the season ticket that they purchased. Away from the top tier of the football family, then you've got to think about match day revenue in regards from tickets on the gate and pies in the stand. These are all fundamental moments and strands within a, a football club's life. The question is, how long will this period of um, distancing last? You know, the general answer to that is who knows? You know, if football fans for, or, or for supporters of any sport are to be permitted into stadiums or, or grounds, then we just need to learn how to behave. We need to know how to engage with one another in a different way. We need to do so in a non-selfish way. We're, gonna, we're just going to need to do certain things. And one of those things is we will have to wear masks. You know, as much as people will say they don't want to wear masks, this is, this is probably going to be the new way of watching sport. Um, but what is apparent from those in the general public, from my point of view, there are many who doubt um, in, in, in terms of wearing masks. They doubt that what masks work. They don't believe them. They wear them incorrectly. They wear them as chin straps or, you know, as no supports. And, and some people don't even believe the virus. And within all of the individuals that I've mentioned or the categories, some of them are actually football fans. So imagine trying to engage with that cohort when you want them to be part of your um, return to normality but they don't believe that there is a virus. They don't believe in wearing masks. They don't believe in social distancing. Very difficult. And you know who they are. We see them everywhere. People we know. And some of them are even politicians. So alongside football, at the lower level, some football clubs are like a, a local business. They support the community. There are individuals around the community that re rely on them for employment. And as a local business, if there are no fans, there's no match day revenue, they will suffer. The, the, the additional elements are their mental health cases will increase. And when you think about it, in our new world, we will be required to adapt in a way that we thought we would never really think about as we would only re regard as doing something in short term. 
this is going to be a long-term way. This probably is the new way. Some of us will have to social distance in stadiums and we'll have to wear masks. There's no other way around it because if we're waiting for the politicians, and I say we, as I'm engaged in the football world as a fan and supporter, if we are looking at the um, health professionals and the politicians to solve this problem, then good luck. We're in for a very long wait and a very long ride. The government, the top tier of football will need to look at how they save clubs, not just themselves. It may result in fans turning away if they don't, turning away from the game that they love, turning away from um, falling out of love of sport if teams no longer exist. You know, these are really serious questions to consider. You know, and we can have a retrospective look in the news and, and how news is reported. And we focus back on a particular point in time. And one of the things that were mentioned in the BBC report was that match between Liverpool and Atletico Madrid back in March about fans being allowed to travel. You know, let's be clear. If you want to stop people coming in, then it's the government's decision, not the football club. The government control what the airports do, not football clubs. So we'd be very clear because it was kind of a, no, it was Liverpool's fault. In that week before the lockdown, Manchester United played away, fans travelled, even though they knew the game was behind closed door. Atletico Madrid fans travelled, even though we knew there were spikes in Spain and Italy and most of Europe. Political decisions, political decisions were the cause, or delayed political decisions were the cause of this problem that the sporting world face right now. The, the, the main issue is that being in England, Great Britain, this, oh, we're an island and it's happening over there and it's got nothing to do with us, was a, was the, the stupidest thing I've ever seen and was being, and a part of in my lifetime. Viruses travel because people travel, period. Should more have been done back then to stop the spread with regards to how it has damaged the sporting world and people around the sporting world, in close proximity to the sporting world. Yes, more should have been done, but not by those who run the sporting world, the politicians who could have engaged with the sporting world and the sporting world could have engaged with the politicians instead of just waiting and seeing. Let's not mention Cheltenham. No, let's mention Cheltenham, no. The government were more concerned about the public coin and how much tax they could recoup as opposed to the public health of the nation, which they're paying for now. I hope they made a lot of money from Cheltenham because it's backfired. So in terms of football fans or any fan with the game in, in a very difficult position with regards to the lack of fans being able to get into grounds and support the team that they love or, or just go and support their local team, they may have two teams or three teams. Clubs are now lined up to get support from the government, just as individuals were lined up to be on the furlough scheme, which has just come to an end. It's not just football, it's every club in every sport. Um, so the world of sport, and I use football, for example, may need to look to broadcasters for help in a, in a, in a way, in a shape, that they've never really considered before. 
in terms of their long-term survival, not just about fans. The game may need to be shared, distributed, promoted in a different way, where fans can access it from home, where there is a limited amount of fans that go to games, where fans go to games on a rotation basis. Who knows? I know that everyone keeps saying, we want to get back to the way things were. We haven't even got back to being just normal where there is a very there are very few cases of the coronavirus. So let's try, for the better word, to be patient and stop for a moment, stand still, instead of continually trying to run and say we need to get back to where we were. Back to where we were was when the virus was rife and it's being and it hasn't gone away. We have to think again. There is no other way. I want to watch sport. I want to watch sport safely. I want to watch sport safely with my friends. And if that means that I do so from the comfort of my armchair and I call my friends on another platform and we share and we discuss the game and we engage with the club in that way, then that is it until there are proper measures in place and there is a vaccine that we can all benefit from. Until then, chill enough of Tuesday and the coronavirus and where we are bouncing away, running, skipping, leaping, daredevil way. No, I'm not joking. It's Wednesday and the mood for me is more upbeat and slightly more smiley. A particular club was bouncing around like Tigger in a, in a room. Wrexham, why you say, what has Wrexham done? Rumours were flying around on social media and mainstream media that the actor Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool man, that guy, was part of a group looking to invest in the club. On the Wrexham website, no less, there was an official statement of potential investors and they named Ryan Reynolds and Mr. L. McElhenney, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Both are actors and both are famous. Um, what I will say to the link between Ryan Reynolds and Wrexham. Obviously, what will happen now is Deadpool 3 and 4 will now be filmed in a, a particular location during November in the rain and the snow and the sleet. Yeah, you can see it, right? Such good news is required in these times. And this was a good news moment for football. Very good news in these trying times and excellent news for Wrexham. I do hope and let's hope that this actually does happen. I'm sure there are a number of other top tier clubs currently looking for Marvel movie stars to support their franchise. Can you imagine it? X-Men supports, I don't know, the Hammers. Anyway, that's enough. That's it from me. This is The Sunday Show. I'm Rodney Cyrus. Wherever you are, I hope you are wrapped up warm. It's getting chilly. I said winter's coming. And um, whatever you're listening to this podcast on, yeah, just drop a little like and say how do you do. Until next time, I'm Rodney Cyrus, and I'll see you later. Bye for now. <laughs>